Welcome to the Leanne McCoy podcast. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a church lady in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I think about things that are far too wonderful for me. It's also where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine and where I remind you and me that no matter what we're going through, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. What you're about to hear is a fourth bonus episode in a three-part deconstruction series that I've done. My daughter, Sayla, joins me to give her response to the previous three episodes. We take the conversation through each episode, starting with episode one, why is deconstruction such a thing today? Then going to episode two, what's going on in the mind of the person deconstructing? And then we conclude, bring it all to an end with episode three, how deconstruction affects us. Shayla is my second daughter, and most of the reason I've taken an interest in this subject, she and her brother both have ventured away from their faith, or at least away from the way that I thought they'd be practicing their faith. And their journeys have become mine because I love my kids very much, and I am going to do whatever it takes to have a healthy relationship with them. It's been messy, that's for sure. We're not going to go into all of that in this episode, but Sayla and I are starting a new podcast we're calling Love Works! Exclamation point, and then in all caps, HARD, Love Works HARD, where we'll get into all of that. I hope you appreciate Sayla's authenticity and her candor as you hear her respond to the things that I've been teaching. When our loved ones are deconstructing their faith, we don't always get to hear what's going on from their perspective. I know that everyone's journey is unique to them, but what Selah shares will hopefully help you as you build bridges to the people you love who might be on this deconstruction journey. Selah, to this opportunity to be on my podcast, I think, no, you have been on it because you and Michael participated with us in January. But as we get started on this response to the three-part episode of Deconstruction, why don't you just share a little bit of your story so that we do have some context before we get started into the conversation? Okay. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. I feel like you and I have been talking about recording podcasts for 10 years minimum since podcasts were a thing. Yeah, before they were ever a thing, we've talked about it. And so this is very exciting because it does feel, um, yeah, it's different just the two of us than what we did with Michael, um, which I think was a little bit more casual than this conversation. Um, so thank you for this opportunity because I think that, um, it has been hard the last few years to listen to your podcast talking about deconstruction and feel like I haven't gotten to be represented from my point of view. Um, and I did feel like the poster child of deconstruction for your community of people that you know, sit under your leadership. And so I'm really grateful, excited, and a little bit nervous about this journey. Um, And I don't want to like get into the nitty gritty, you know, the whole narrative, but I did want to share just about how like, I didn't really even know that I was deconstructing as it the process was happening. And I think that's pretty common for, and I didn't know that deconstruction was a either like I didn't even have that language until I mean you probably shared it with me at some point or I saw I do remember seeing like the first post from somebody in my community um make a post and I was like oh like that feels like what I'm going through too Hmm. um and so it was a pretty I felt very isolated in it even though it is has been a larger movement taking place. It felt like a very individual journey for me. Um, And in your second podcast of this series, you, in the intro, you talked about um, deconstruction versus demolition. And I wanted to offer another word to the mix, another perspective. And um, it was dissolution. And I kind of felt when I was reflecting on that, I felt like in my journey, it was like, 
my experience in the church and my the way that my faith looked in my childhood and young adulthood was like the salt that was dissolved into the water of what is now my spiritual life. Um, and so it's not gone. You just can't see it and feel it and it doesn't express itself in the same way. Like it used to be solid and now it's a part of this liquid, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't like, in the process of my journey, I, the, the narrative that I can share that you obviously know, but to share with everyone that's listening, I wasn't that kid that was like rebellious in my teenage years. I wasn't your typical PK that resented the spotlight. Like I very much felt integrated into the church community and I was incredibly active in church above and beyond what my parents' expectations were. And I went on literally dozens, I mean, maybe not dozens, but close to 20 mission trips. I, by the time I was 22 years old, I had spent nearly a whole year of clock time on overseas mission trips. Um, and I was fiercely passionate about my faith and was constantly, um, I mean, I had daily quiet times. I was constantly realigning with what I felt like was God's call for my life. And I was pouring my whole heart into that pursuit. And then I had what I call fondly a quarter life crisis. <laughs> and I, my career track was redirected because I fell in love and I didn't feel like I was, yeah, I just didn't feel like it was what was the most true for me as I was discovering more of myself in my early twenties, like everyone does, like just figuring out, um, more what is gonna what what we're be what we're meant to be doing in life and um and that was kind of the that was a critical aspect of the beginning of the end and another piece that is I feel like really important in the course of those mission trips I ended up in a long like a six or eight week um, mission school that was very, I, I experienced the spectrum of denominations within the church too. The summer prior, I did a missions internship with a ministry who was led by missionaries who had a background in the Church of Christ. I have a background in Southern Baptist and non-denominational um, type worship and, and culture. And then I ended up at this mission school that had like an assemblies of God, more charismatic, more uh, Holy Spirit focused um, part of the church. And so I, I was getting this full spectrum of your Protestant evangelical American church. And I at the, that point, at, at that last long mission trip in Africa, right before my senior year of college, I just kind of came back feeling disappointed and disillusioned and like I had um given it my all and I still didn't have the kind of relationship with God that I read about in the Bible that I felt like Jesus promised in scripture. And so at that point I just focused on my career and then it was three years later, three and a half years later, maybe two and a half to three and a half years later that I actually left that career path. And then the there was more room for my spiritual path to unfold. So does that feel like a good overview yeah. of my experience? Yeah. Okay. I think that's good. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Cool. And that's good to give people that because, you know, before we just jump in to, to kind of know you and who you are and to my audience, I want to let you know that we are really excited. Um, Sayla and I are to start this new podcast that we're going to be doing that we we're pretty much convinced that we're calling love works hard and we're mostly going to be talking about in that podcast um the hard work of um of making sure that the relationships that matter most <clears throat> are strong no matter what's going on in our lives individually of course we, we'll probably bounce around and talk about other things too because we have a lot of fun getting into other 
conversations and situations. And I don't, you know, Sayla, you and I are still formulating our ideas about that, but I think that we're also going to um, just have some fun on that one too. It's not going to always be intense and crazy. I think we'll have fun as well, which we may, I, it's very likely we'll have fun doing this one as we're doing the um, response for you to respond to what those episodes were. So we're going to take them like episode by episode, and we're going to start with the first one. And the first one I titled, Why is Deconstruction Such a Thing Today? And um, I discussed five things that Carrie Newhoff said about deconstruction. And um, do you want me to read the five things or just like take them one at a time? How do you, how do you think it will work good? <clears throat> Let's do one at a time. But my first thought about yes. this podcast was... Did that ding? I just got a text and it like ding. No, it did ears. not. Okay, mm-hmm. you're good. good. <laughs> um, I'm gonna shut that off. <laughs> um, so my first thought about this pod, this podcast, was who the heck is Carrie Newhoff? Okay, <laughs> why do I care what he has to say about my deconstruction journey? <laughs> That's good. That's good for us to hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, one of the things he said is the um, distrust of large institutions, how just culturally we have an overall distrust of large government, large um, institution of education. And of course, the church um, falls into that as well. You got any response to that one? I absolutely agree. It's not Mm -hmm. I mean, for me personally, um, and I do want to share too, like in this, the context of this podcast, like I don't speak for everyone. Every single person's faith journey is individual. And so I can only speak from my personal perspective. That being said, I do think there's a huge cultural reckoning that's happening in my generation with institutions. And I think that the older generation of our parents is, and our grandparents are, is witnessing it. And also participating and feeling the same feelings of of frustration and disillusionment with our large institutions. But in their early life, it it just wasn't the way that it is now. Um, In a smaller world that had less chaos, you know, things were simpler. Like the when you think about the population and the Internet and all of these different aspects that contribute to this cultural shift and frustration with large institutions. In my personal journey, there's absolutely no question that that played a role. And it actually like, I feel like I lost trust in the medical institution before I lost trust in the church as an institution. And I felt in and simultaneously, as I was going through this process with my relationship with the church, I was witnessing the, I mean, this was 20 17 to 2022, let's call that my deconstruction, you know, time frame of that whole unfolding and sorting out. And so like, I mean, right smack dab in the middle of that is the election of 2020 and COVID. And I, and just prior to that in 20, the beginning of 2018, or yeah, in that window too, in 2018, I left medical school because I lost trust in that that was the best way to apply my gifts to serve and love people because I didn't feel like that's what the medical institution was demonstrating. And there's arguments to be made. And I certainly admire people that choose to stay within those institutions and, and work towards um, change and, and moving it towards health. But for me, I was just so discouraged on a personal level by the corruption and the and the fact that capitalism seemed to be driving the medical institution, the education institution, and the government institution, and in some ways the institution of the church as well. And yeah. so, yes, I agree. Okay. <laughs> All right, very good. The second was our diverse, accessible, and mobile world. You've kind of uh, alluded to that a little bit and talking about how the internet and just it's a different world because of that. You got any other thoughts on that being one of the reasons that deconstruction is such a thing today? Um, I can see that because of the accessibility to other ways of thinking and other perspectives. You know, when you were in your early 20s, if you wanted to learn about um, another culture or another religion, you would have had to go to a lot more work. I can just Google it 
from my phone. Whereas you would have had to go to the library in town and look up books and open them and skim through them and check the index. Like that's just a lot more work than just having the access to Google and YouTube and Instagram and receiving other people's yeah perspective and other cultures perspective. All right. Third reason was high profile Christians who are failing big. He said burning out. I just I called it failing big high profile Christians that are failing big. That, again, is the reason we know about that more is because of the Internet. I think we know one of the points I made in the podcast was we don't only just know about the big guys. We know about little people that are failing big, too, just because it's more accessible. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that? Um, what's your perspective on that? I, I, you don't have to name like specific situations i guess but just that like people yeah i think anytime somebody who is high profile and is preaching a a a message and then their life stands in stark contrast to the message they're preaching i think that always gives people pause and gives opportunity for people to throw away like throw away like to to use that as a reason like yeah see there that would be a reason that i'm not all in on that because look at this guy, that kind of thing. And the Mm -hmm. one that comes to mind, I I shouldn't name names, but there was a very high profile guy that came to mind that after he died, it came out that he had all kinds of sexual immorality going on. And it, and people, he had been an apologist, you know, defending the faith all of his life. And people were devastated by that. And we should be, because I think that a person, if you're going to preach something that you say your life centers on and you're not living that, then does your life really center on that? You know, that's just, that kind of thing's hard, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. The prideful prioritization of conformity over unity And in that, I talked about um, what's going on in our denomination and in several large denominations. And that is that we really are narrowing our focus on what people have to agree on in order to work together. And um, Mm -hmm. my prediction is it will be the downfall of our denominations, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it just is a thing. You know, I read an article just this last week, and you know this because you're Southern Baptist, and most of my listeners, I think, are probably at least know about it, but um, Southern Baptists for almost a hundred years since 1925 have had a way of doing missions together that we call the cooperative program and all the churches. And at one time, when we first started Thompson Station Church 35 years ago, the churches were all encouraged to give a tithe from your church's budget to the cooperative program. So it was like 10%. Well, that's all the way, that's already changed through the years that the churches themselves rarely does any give 10%. So that's already changed how we cooperate together. And then um, now, you know, it might be two or 3%, even for the leaders of the convention. And, um, but right now in the Southern Baptist convention, there's a huge vote going on this summer. That's probably going to knock out a whole lot of churches. Ironically has to do with women in ministry. We won't get into all of that, but all of that is stay tuned for love works hard. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for that Cause we'll be talking about that there probably. So anyway, that was what that was. We got to move on. But number five was acceptance of political idolatry and conspiracy theories. And I have a feeling you have something to say about this. Do you? <laughs> well, I well, in reflection of what you just shared about the um, the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity, and I appreciate that clarification about it's about needing to agree on more things rather than the main thing. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because as you talk about the shifting in the denominations, like that's the same as number one of losing trust in institutions. It's like the church, the individual congregations themselves are losing trust in the institution of the collective denomination. Right. Right. That is a good point to make. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, the politicization of the, I have studied like some American politics, just recent history, not in depth that I feel confident enough to like share details, but the, the way that the Republican party has basically claimed like, or I don't know if it's the Republican party or if it's the Christian, the church, it's, it's so intertwined now it's become so tribal that like, if you vote Democrat, you're not a good Christian. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't, because they pick and ironically, it feels like you know, there's that we are taught that we can't pick and choose what to believe in the Bible and what rules to follow and what rules not to follow. And yet in this 
current political atmosphere, it's like the two things that come to the very top of the list as moral issues is abortion and um, LGBTQ rights and gay marriage and other not, I mean, you can even expand that out into like polyamorous marriage, you know, polygamy. And so when you talk about yeah, and because there's the overlap of marriage being both a um, spiritual and religious commitment as well as an actual legal contract. Like it is both of those things. Mm-hmm. And so the politicization and the, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The rigidity of those stances and then claiming and holding on to those ideals and specific perspectives on those issues over the character of the leaders that are running under this political umbrella is has been devastating to me and I think many many other people both that are still very active and faithful to the church and outside of the church I think that it's just been a devastating thing to watch I know for a fact, just from my um, connection with the online community of people who have deconstructed that the support, the American church supporting Donald Trump, the way that they did um, the public, you know, the big figures um, standing behind Donald Trump with such ferocity, despite countless sexual scandals and countless proof of his lack of integrity was like the final breaking point for them. And they had to step back and reevaluate their entire relationship with this um, community and group of uh, an institution, I guess is the word, but like, because of the way that that all has played out. And I don't think, I think that people are starting to see that, you know, it's taken some time, but I do feel a shift, especially even in my personal relationship with, my parents because you can't you can't know like you can't know until the other side of things and like I do feel like people are starting to like have to reckon with that and still feel disappointed that there's not better options on the table and frustrated and so but I do know that that has played a role in the collective movement of people leaving the church okay well those were the five things that he said and then I said ultimately people deconstruct for two reasons emotional reasons which is um housed in hurt, abuse, trauma, experiences that people have had, and cognitive reasons, which are um, just in the process of intellectually and thinking like brain brain world. So I guess I'm talking about heart world and brain world. Um, and then the cognitive reasons, I just wrote new definition of truth versus the claims of Christianity. Um, so what is your, do you have any response to, to that? I think that it's always a combination of those two things for everybody. I don't think there's um, any one size fits all experience or perspective. And it would be impossible for me to presume to understand someone else's experience, even through deconstruction. Like there's points of ways that we can relate. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that it's a combination of those two. And then I would also add that for me and most of the people that I've personally connected with um, that are going through a similar process, the, there is, and I guess maybe this would fall under, well, it falls under both categories, but the church's treatment of women and sex and sexuality is at like the top of the list of frustration and confusion for the vast majority of people that I've connected with in my generation. I would say, 10 years older and 10 years younger than me that are going through this process. Okay. So. Maybe we'll take, maybe we'll get really brave and um, tackle that issue in our new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's good. Well, I, um, I do think that it's just very interesting and this is a part of why I feel like um, what you and I are going to be doing together is so timely and going to be a, a significant contribution to the, chatter out in the podcast world because around 40 million people have effectively stopped going to church. So, it, you know, I hear that it's, uh, I mean, and I know it's, I know for you, cause I've watched, it has been a very individual journey, but I think 
what is baffling to me is that collectively there's a lot of people going through that. And that's the thing that ought to be staggering to our audience. You know, the people that are still going to church, we, we do need to take a good hard look at it. And I'll mention again, the book that I recommended to my audience, it's called the great Dechurching: who's leaving, why they're going and what will it take to bring them back by authors, Jim Davis and Michael Graham. I'll add that to the show notes as well. But anyway, it's um, it's the largest spiritual, um, what do you call it, shift in America ever. Um, it's second to the 25 million that returned to church right after the Civil War. Um, but uh, this being an opposite shift, 40 million people um, not going to church anymore who used to go and not going. Anyway, all right. Second episode was how deconstruction affects the person deconstruction. This one oh, is- Oh, wait, I have something to- I know. I have something to say about that, though. Oh, okay. Good, good. Go back and say that. Don't let me roll over it. Yeah. Um, I just, the, the, basically exodus is a good word that we can use for this. I didn't, I didn't realize that I read it, but it didn't really sink until you're rereading it right now. And I heard it when I listened to the podcast, but 40 million people like have left. Yeah. Not Mm -hmm. stopped going to church Mm -hmm. um, over the last 25 years. So my thoughts on this is that like, I believe that this is inevitable. I do just from my knowledge of scripture and my personal spiritual journey, I do believe that we are upon the quote end times. And I see that personally as a transition, as much as I do an ending, like I do believe that with every ending, there's a new beginning. It's the nature of God being eternal. Um, But the end times and, like you can look around and see all the prophecies that are coming true, especially when you talk about the country of Israel and the nation of Israel and that whole geographical area. Like it's been, there's always been war in the Middle East. Well, I don't know that there's always been war in the Middle East, but in my entire life, there's been war in the Middle East. I'm 30 years old. And I, that's definitely something that I want to, we'll, we'll talk about later because it's so interesting. (laughs) Um, But I think that being said, I think it's a very dangerous thing for anyone to judge anyone else's faith ever. Um, There's absolutely no doubt that there are people that think that they know God and do not. Jesus says that directly in Matthew 7. There will be people that cry out to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, from I never knew you, from me, for I never knew you. And so I think that it is definitely possible and even likely that there are also many people that perhaps who we presume, you know, who we perceive as the church may judge as being very far from Jesus, who are actually some of his most intimate disciples. Um, So that was just a thought that came up when I was reflecting on this and preparing for this podcast. Um, And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is that it's also notable that religious deconstruction is not limited to the American church. It's happening amongst devotees to every religious um, tradition across the board. That would be that. Now that's a new thing to to ponder and think about. I'm not, I'm not aware of that, but it's some. You're saying that's something that's happening right now in other large mm-hmm. religions as well. Interesting. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and maybe for the same reasons along the way. All right. Let's move. Are you good now? We can move to the second yes. episode because <laughs> this one is the one that I thought you'd probably have the most to give us insight on because this was the one where I talked about how deconstruction affects the person deconstructing. And of course, I'm my um, my research for this episode was both, um, what do you call it, scholastic, but also personal, just uh, making observations and that and that was the part I'm like I probably shouldn't be doing this because I'm trying to understand like what's going on and you're not the only one of my kids that I'm having these conversations with I have three children and two of them I'm having these conversations with but you are the one that's willing to get on the podcast with me and us to us tackle it together so anyway. and it's worth noting that I have had a I would say a more comprehensive and direct deconstruction process because of my relationship with the church throughout my life. Yeah. Which is very different from his. Right. Right. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So um, these are the things that I shared about what a person might be thinking. All that held them together is no longer holding them up. 
They're afraid, excited, and eager to walk slowly through the process. They might feel alone and afraid. They would say that what's happening is happening to them, not by them. They hate that relationships are broken, but feel like we we broke them. They genuinely hurt for the hurt this is causing us. While we're dealing with grief over what they're losing, they don't recognize that they're losing anything. We better stop right there because there's a bunch of these. Um, well, no, mm-hmm. let me just read through them all. And then I want, I want you just to be able to talk freely about it. They see their deconstruction not as a choice, but rather a path that they must walk driven by their disillusionment. And it might even result in anger for being what they now consider deceived. Now that I know that that is scholastic. Some people have said that. I don't know. I think at times you were feeling that way. You can just share if you want to. They feel tremendous freedom from having to please us and from having to live within the boundaries of biblical instruction. Um, They're enjoying acceptance by their peers and culture, no longer at odds with these. Um, And this is something I read and released from the way that feeling at odds with people, how that feels. So anyway, respond to all of that. Like I'm given some pretty, uh, um, bold and um, and specific statements about what it might feel like during the process. Um, yeah, I agree with most of these observations. The one I'll start with what I feel like I had pretty strong, like, nope, it's not that for me. Mm-hmm. And that was uh they hate that relationships are broken but feel like we broke them when you said that i feel like you were taking responsibility and this is just interesting because i think that we both have felt this along our personal relationship journey mm-hmm. and but what i i i'm just going to read it because i wrote this in mm-hmm. my reflection i i never felt like my parents broke our relationship i always felt like it was my fault what was incredibly I was incredibly hurt by and did blame them for what I blamed them for and was hurt by was it felt like they withdrew their blessing over me because I withdrew from the church and the path and and from the church and from the path that we all anticipated I would be walking. And this felt, I know now that it was not, but this withdrawal of, you know, enthusiastic blessing over my life, which makes sense um felt like a withdrawal of love and challenged the very core my very core belief that my parents do in fact love me unconditionally and so i just wanted to share that because i feel like we both took that on from because we felt so because it felt so jarring that we went from having such a deeply intimate relationship to feeling like it's hard to even speak to each other because it was um I feel like we both felt like that was all our fault when really I feel like it was due to circumstances outside of either of our control. Okay. In hindsight. Good. So I don't know that everyone feels that way, but but that's how you um, felt. I get it. That's good. That's how I feel today. I don't know that that's how I felt during the process, but that's how I feel now. (laughs) Good. Um, And then the other one that I, didn't really that I wanted to call attention to in like kind of like a stark like no this isn't really it um is when you said they don't feel like they're losing anything um I felt like I was losing everything because I was and I absolutely grieve this loss and I accept that it's a lifelong grieving process um I did feel like absolutely I do feel like I've gained freedom but I it's it's a false assumption to um, presume that your loved ones are not hurting over losing their community, their friends, their support. Literally, it's they're literally losing the lens with which they've they've viewed and approached life. Like the the Bible is a life manual. Like it does have and the and the structure that the church has offered. Um, to someone that was raised in a healthy, vibrant church like me. Not all people that deconstruct were raised in a healthy church. I was, but like it, it was, it is a system that works. And I, and I still witness that. And I feel like I was completely, I I unintentionally just didn't have it anymore. I, I lost my, um, yeah, the biggest tool that I had for navigating life. And so it was a a colossal grief. And ultimately, like, I lost part of myself 
um, when I let my religion go. And it's not a small loss. It's a top tier life loss that has to be honored and grieved um, for the rest of my life. So I think that, and I also, in addition to that, like the, one of the, my biggest griefs has been, and this one actually, I, I feel like is like going to get to process and fully heal because we're here doing this work as mother and daughter and working hard, love works hard. (laughs) Um, Because, because the biggest, my biggest loss was, was my, the loss of intimacy with my family. I lost best friends. I lost community. I lost the constant, you know, cheerleading that I received when I was planning on being a medical missionary and on this specific path. And I lost all of that. And all of a sudden I was just alone in a wilderness, unsure of which way was up. Um, so you're, whoever is deconstructing is, does grieve the loss of whether it's their faith as a whole, whether they landed on becoming, you know, an atheist, like they're, they're still grieving that loss. They feel like they lost the love of their life because faith is like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are the two like strong disagreements I had. Um, so to go kind of, you know, overarching, I'm going to start kind of right back at the beginning of these points. Um, just talking about the feeling that you experience while deconstructing, you listed afraid, excited, eager. Um, there's also many, many anger, you know, many other emotions (laughs) that you go through. And I hit on the biggest one for me, which was grief. Um, but I also wanted to just share and touch on it is an incredibly disorienting process. And because of what I just mentioned about like losing the very your very framework of how you navigate life. And so it's kind of like going to sleep one night in your bed where you've lived your whole life and then waking up in a spaceship that is in the process of landing on another planet with a totally foreign reality. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and and in that process i think that it's probably different for everyone if there's other people that likely have relationships with other people you know more intimate relationships with other people that are deconstructing but for me i personally felt alone and afraid most of the time um during my deconstruction process um there it's it does not feel like something I consciously chose. It feels like something that was kind of my destiny, like unavoidable. And sometimes that feels good and empowering. And sometimes that just makes me feel like a victim to my own experience. Um, And so, yes, that is, I have a lot, several other, you know, big, things written down um hmm. yeah do you have any reflections or guide I don't have to say every single thing that I No, I appreciate you being like I think this is huge because you're speaking to the audience of me you know of people that only know are in very confusing and painful perhaps relationships with people they love and they don't understand. So I really just want to applaud your, your um, authenticity in like, not, not exposing, but like sharing with us what it actually for you, what it really was like. Cause I bet it, even though you went through it by yourself, I would imagine that many people who may or may not listen to this podcast because they're not, you know, necessarily going to, but they're, they are, their parents and their loved ones may be listening. And I bet many of their people feel the same way, which I I think Mm -hmm. is just, um, I think it'd be very comforting for them to know (laughs) that they also Mm -hmm. are not the only ones, you know? So I went, I did ask, go into saying, and you don't have to say everything you've got written down, but you can for sure say whatever it is that you want to. Um, I, another part of this, and I knew this is the most, you know, I knew this part, the, the second episode would be the one you'd have the most, I feel like for us, the most insight into, because you are, you are the person and you can share what your experiences is. And, um, 
one of the things that I said, would you, or the next question I really asked was, would you agree that people deconstructing their faith have these things in common with each other? Bad experiences with other Christians or the church in general, exposure to virtuous non-Christians who were kinder than Christians, and confronting intellectual challenges to their to their faith. Were any of those contributing factors? Wow. First, the answer to the first question is yes, of course. Don't don't you also have bad yes, experiences I have with of Christians? Bad experiences with other Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've met plenty of very was... nice people who are not Christians, <laughs> right? Um, and not just kinder for me. Also, what I've witnessed in in several of the people that I now consider spiritual teachers that are definitely not in alignment or don't consider themselves Christians is that they, to me, um, I perceive a deeper vibrancy of life in them and a deeper connection to love in them than many, many, maybe not all, but most people that I know that consider themselves Christians. And so it's more than just kindness. It's like this, this deeper vitality. And it seems clear to me that what they're doing is definitely working for them and achieving um, their, not just their personal desires, but, but they, I mean, I'm, I truly believe that God is love and I feel like, and I do not, I do not receive leadership or content from people that I do not believe are in alignment with that core value of God is love and that we are meant to be in service of that God. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that second point, it's more than just like, oh, they're kinder. Like I remember every Mormon that I've ever met who are also Christians, but I was raised that like, well, they're not, they're not the same as Christians, Christians. And it's like, yeah, they're, it's, they're different. But I always thought that they were much nicer than the church, people that I went to church with. <laughs> and, so, um, <laughs> and then... Yeah, confronting intellectual intellectual challenges with the faith, of course. And this is something, it's interesting because that in particular was definitely something that I I wrestled with, but not in such an obviously dramatic way. I didn't know that it was going to lead to me totally rewiring my entire spiritual database. But like, I always asked the hard questions. Like Sunday school teachers would cringe when I was in, where was going to be in their class because I am always going to ask the hard questions. And I would often ask dad hard questions and he would be like, let's call your grandfather and talk about it. (laughs) And so like, that was absolutely a part of my journey. And I think that it would be, it's inevitable that that's a part of every person that deconstructs journey because that's like how you wrestle with it in a tangible way, rather than just the emotional aspects. Like there's definitely a conversation that's happening in your head as your body is processing these emotional experiences. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. All right. Well said. Would you say, now here's the biggie to close out kind of episode two. Would you say losing your faith, your Christian faith set you free? And if yes, free from what? And how does this freedom express itself in your life? This is a big question. It's a big question. Yes. In... And this is still unfolding. It's still in the process of unfolding for me. The biggest piece of liberation that I have experienced has been liberation in my body. I did not realize until um, until I was going through this process how much stored emotional energy that I had in my body and how much shame I felt about and uh, yeah, about and it has a lot to do with sex. We can talk more about that on another platform. It has a lot to do with um, being a woman and and really absorbing the more patriarchal, hardliner, fundamentalist perspectives of women in the church, um, and. 
so yes, I do. I feel like I have, and I would say freedom from shame on a really deep level. And um, yeah, freedom from guilt and shame, which is not unlike what I know that people experience in a salvation experience. And I think that it's likely that I would now have more in common with someone who came to know Jesus later in life than someone that was born into the church. Because when you say the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus into your heart when you're five or 10 years old, it's not like you have this great accumulated hurt behind that. You're, you're, you're getting in early and you're get you're, you're then walking with him. And I, and I experienced that and I didn't, yeah, as a young adult, I just, I felt really hindered in my ability to express myself freely without being concerned that I wasn't doing it perfectly. And it wasn't because I was taught that I should be held to a perfect standard. Like that's the whole point of Jesus. But there was this level and I, and my, my experience is also different from a lot of people's because of the nature of being the pastor's daughter of the big church in the small town. Um, and so there, there's an aspect of that that was much, that was definitely social more than it was faith-based, if that makes yeah, sense. Right, right. Um, and so that was a big part of it too, was freedom from feeling like I always had to express in a certain way in order to protect the reputations of my parents. And right. that was my big step of claiming my own voice separate from my parents. And it took me literally living on the other side of the country to feel like that was okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's all, it's not, yeah, I think that even in the, like, as I'm feeling into this and sharing about this in the context of this podcast, like, I think it's really important to keep in mind that like, whatever someone's faith journey is and relationship to and with the church is and the Bible is, it's just one part of their life. Like there were so many other things going on in my life during this process. And um, I'm in an amazing partnership and we had a really rocky start. And I attribute that to getting married prematurely from pressure from my upbringing in the church because, and that also has to do with sex, obviously. Um, <laughs> and so that's a common theme. And so I feel like I've definitely, that that's where my freedom gets to express itself is in my sex and in, in my sex life, but also in my expression as a sexual being in the world, um, which is, yeah, it's, ooh. <laughs> Wow. Hello. <laughs> Hello, audience of Lillian. <laughs> I did. I wrote it down. I have all caps and bold sex. <laughs> it's an important piece. And it is still very much unfolding. All that to say. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know what? I think we are going to have a lot of fun on that new podcast because we are going to have to revisit this conversation big time. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, there you go. You asked. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to share in a respectful way, but like it's it's hard and it is hard to be specific with it because it is such a deeply personal experience too. And what is true for me is not true for every other person. It may very well not be the same. Um, yeah, it's not. No one else has my experience. And so, you know. Right. Your your loved one that's deconstructing may, sex may have nothing to do with it. Maybe. <laughs> right. But probably the freedom, like there's something, there has to be a benefit and a reward for you to be willing to endure the, the painful process of it. And so I think that's important to, I guess I would say, yeah, it might not have anything to do with sex or it might. Um, but there is something that it has a benefit or reward. And my, my word to um, moms and dads, sisters, brothers, whoever it is, I think it's important just to like, even right now, sitting here and listening to Sayla talk, it's 
really good to hear what matters to her heart. And I don't know, I think I'd, I've been so resistant to what's going on in her life that I've not really, um, it's been more of a fight than a willingness to sit down and listen. And so I think the takeaway for us, we're not going to, this is not a podcast to try to encourage anybody to deconstruct their faith or to encourage any person deconstructing their faith to leave all that behind and return to Jesus. This, this episode and our new podcast really is just about um, opening our hearts to listen to each other so that we have more understanding and, um, you know, shared experience and being seen and heard is such an important part of genuinely loving each other. So that's, that would be what I'd like to say to what you've just shared with us and for the people Mm -hmm. that are listening. And on that, in that, in that same vein, like if, if there are, and I'm sure there will be people on my side of the fence or my side of the canyon so to speak sometimes I feel like you and I mom are speaking to each other from across a grand canyon yes (laughs) and it's like we can communicate but there's this huge like gaping hole in between between us us, yes um and both of us are not willing to jump that (laughs) that that, well we just forgot that we knew how to fly um (laughs) but I feel like from my side from, from my perspective, as the one that has been through this deconstruction experience, it is equally vital and important to remember to have a compassionate um, approach and perspective for what your loved ones are going through. Because as you are re-identifying, figuring out who you are all over again as an adult person, they too are getting to know a whole new version of you. And that just takes patience. Like you can't expect them to meet you the same way that they met you before you went through this process, because that's not who you are anymore. And they're trying to figure out how to grapple with that too. Um, Because it's not, yeah, it's not fair to just it, it's impossible. It's an impossible task to ask anyone to be able to present perfectly in the midst of such major transition. Yeah, it's good. That's good. Good. Good word for both of our, both of our peoples, both of our tribes. You use the word tribe. Yeah, <laughs> both of them. That's good. All right. So that kind of wraps up that particular episode and your insight into that one. So the third episode was how deconstruction affects us. And of course, this was more, I'm, I was much more confident in presenting this because this one I know, I mean, this is how it affects, how it has affected me. And so this is us being the people who love the people who are, who are deconstructing. Um, so why do you think so many people deconstructing their faith lose relationship with the people who love them, who are not deconstructing their faith? What, why do you think it, it I mean, we've already kind of talked about it the whole time, but just, you know, what are your thoughts? And like, here's the thing, like, this is the thing that creates mm-hmm. the disconnect. We might've just talked about it. I don't know. Yeah, I think we did. I, and just to solidify that I wrote down because neither of us knows how to move forward. I mean, and this is, I mean, a perfect question for you and I to reflect on because like you are my primary relationship that was so devastated by this journey because you were the person that I, until I met my husband, I was in most intimate relationship with and I shared virtually everything with. And so, um, yeah, it's because neither of us knows how to move forward. The foundation of our intimacy is rocked on such a fundamental level and who we are appears to be radically different from who we were. And so it becomes very painful to be reminded of that in every single interaction with our mom or with our loved ones that are still, uh, that are that were not rocked, that, that whose, whose reality did not change, who did not wake up on a different planet. Yeah. And so when you feel like the people who, quote, love you are constantly trying to change you and cause you to, or want you to be different, want you to believe differently, want you to, to present differently, and are unable to accept who you are and where you are now, it feels hopeless and pointless to continue in relationship. 
sometimes letting those relationships go seems like the less painful and more compassionate course forward. So I'm glad that you, I remember having those, go ahead. I just, I remember having those conversations with you. I mean, and it was really, really hard and it wasn't, I mean, it was two years ago. And I, I shared with you that I felt like it was less, painful to not be in relationship than it was to be in relationship and constantly be at odds with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, and I think that in, and thinking back on that, you're, you're so blinded by not you, but you being me in this situation, I was so blinded by the emotional turmoil of it. Like it was so, the hurt was so big that I could not hear, you know, I couldn't, I just, I, I, we'll have to really take some time to unpack it, but I couldn't get to where you were, then that is what it is. And we, and so, and the hard part was that you were making the calls, obviously, and Tom and I have often said, your dad and I have often said that um, with our children, when whoever cares more about the relationship is the one that's going to get hurt the most if it's a contentious relationship. And it always feels like the parents care more. And that may not be the case. It may just feel like that's what it is in the process. I want to make an observation. Um, I'm just saying, don't, we're not going to downplay how painful all of that was. And we may get into that a little bit as we um, introduce our new podcast so that we can talk it through just like this. It's a really healthy thing to do. But I think several things were also going on. Like you said earlier, there's a lot more than just faith going on when you were going through your process. Because I think, um, and this is probably true for other parents that are that are listening, is that some of what's going on is your children are growing up. And so your relationship, and they're getting married. And so your relationship is is making adjustments to all of that anyway. So I'm just saying, don't like baptize it all and make it so, you know, spiritual that you're not just missing the social aspects of what's going on with your relationship. And for me saying that out loud, just takes some of the pressure off. You know, we're not talking about heaven and hell. We're just talking about transition of stages of life. And that is understandable. I think that that kind of exacerbated what was going on with us. Um, and I see that, I'll tell you what helped me see that more clearly, Sayla, was when we did the series of podcasts during January, where you and Michael were sharing about what it was like growing up in a pastor's home and, um, or in a pastor's plural home, you know, with both of us being in ministry. And I was realizing that so much of what I had made so ultra spiritual, wasn't spiritual really at all. It was just a a natural process of y'all figuring yourselves out and, and growing up and leaving and going away. All of my children know that I'd be just satisfied if we lived on a great big farm and everybody had their, you know, we just added the additions to the house to let everybody live together in community forever, <laughs> especially when they start having babies, because like, I love the grandchildren so much, but I also have remembered a lot about how, when I was growing up, my mom and dad, they probably felt that way, but they never said anything about it. And um, I remember thinking I couldn't wait to get out of there. And my parents weren't pastors or anything, so I didn't have that layer of it. But I couldn't wait to get some distance between me and them, even though I love my parents dearly. And I really do love the time we spend together. So, you know, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with that because I even now I'm telling my audience now, Sayla, that I'm trying to talk her and her husband into still moving living close enough to where I can, you know, she listens to your podcast, right? Who? Yeah. You? Yeah. No, I know. But uh, she she knows that I felt that way because we talked about it then too. And she knew, but she like has always been so good about being like, you do you, whatever. It's okay. And then of course, as a reward for that, I, I sent you guys off to her as often as I could. And she had lots of interaction with you guys when you're growing up. And I went to her house for Christmas until like, you know, y'all were nearly grown. And uh, it's because she was so good at that. But anyway, I'm just, I just wanted to throw that in. That is a little bit of it has to do with that. So we're wrapping up. I'm watching our time too. This has gone a little bit longer, but it's okay. I think it's been a really great, we've already talked about grief. And so did you have any more you want to say? Because my next question had to do with stages of grief. Did you experience it? Um, 
because I know I've experienced it and just working through that podcast helped to see. And you've already mentioned that you did. Is there anything else you want to say about that? No, okay. I don't think so. All right, then let's can't let's finish up with this last um, question. What advice will you give people who want to reestablish or have healthy relationships with their loved one who is or has deconstructed their faith? What advice do you have for the moms and dads and siblings and friends? Whatever you do, do not try to talk them out of it. Because that always, and I know that that comes from a place of sincere love and desire for them to know the satisfaction that you get from your faith. But that's something that they can only get directly from God. And when you have those conversations or come into your interactions with an agenda to try to convince them to do something and you think that you're trying to help, but really you're just pushing them away. Okay. That's good. That's a good word. That's the biggest piece. And then the other piece is just try to process your hurt and anger with other supportive people that do share your beliefs and values. And when you show up in relationship and in interactions with them, come to it with a heart of compassion and don't ask questions if you are not emotionally prepared to not react. Yeah. And I guess you may not know that until you get into the conversations, but like do your best not to require your child or loved one that is deconstructing to have to hold space for your hurt over their journey because it's something that they're experiencing. And although you're witnessing it and you're experiencing it secondhand, it's not your experience and you're not, hopefully not ever going to understand it because you don't want to go through that process because you value your faith and you want it to remain steadfast and connected to the church that you love. It's good. Good. And that's also a good, I mean, that is a good word. And there are so many more um, people out there talking about this. Um, I don't know of other podcasts that are specifically related to it. I've seen a lot from the side that Kaylee's on of people deconstructing their faith. I've not seen a lot. And if y'all know of some, let me know. I'd I'd be interested in that. Um, But there are a lot of books and things out there that are beginning to be out there. Oh, one more. One more thing is try to find other more lighthearted ways of connection. You know, when I reflect on my childhood, I had a lot of really deep, powerful, beautiful, faith-centered experiences. But I also like my happiest memories are when we were all just on the lake together having a good time. Not when we were having deep conversations on Sunday night. And so like try to create experiences for you to share together, to continue to make more new memories and lay a foundation for a new season of your relationship rather than trying to re to, to get what's in the past back because, and like, yeah. And there's just so much more to your relationship than your faith. Mm-hmm. And yet it is like a center point. And I know that it's a center point for me and it's a center point for you. But I feel like doing fun things and not really talking about the super deep stuff all the time is a really, really healthy way to maintain good emotional connection and communication so that you have the trust built up when those harder conversations happen. That's good. That's good. That, that's a great thing to say. Just yesterday we were out on the water. So right now while we're recording this, um, Kaylee, I wasn't out on the water. She was not on the water. She's at home in Tennessee. Well, not her home, but my home. And I am in Cabo, Mexico. So y'all don't feel sorry for me. Not one little bit, (laughs) but we were on the water and I was talking to another woman whose family had grown up water skiing and we were exchanging stories of how, do you remember when we would get all of us up on the skis behind the boat? We were talking about that. (laughs) And they did it too. Like it was so much fun. It was making me remember all of the fun time we had doing that. And then even, um, I know that 
Tom sent home to our her family text a picture of him and DJ catching the big fish because it was reminding him of that too. Since we were out fishing yesterday, it was a lot of fun. So anyway, well, Sayla, thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, we have talked about this for an hour and you came so prepared and, and so ready and it was good. It was really, really rich. I think it's very valuable to hear your insight and um, you did it in such a kind and a gentle <laughs> way (laughs) and um so thank you for being with us today yeah thank you for the opportunity to have my voice represented amongst the conversation (laughs) well it was a good it was a good conversation so thank you and i love you oh i love you too thanks Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's nothing short of a miracle that Sayla and I have the kind of relationship now where we can sit down with you and have this conversation. If you want to hear more about our mother-daughter relationship journey during these past few years, be watching for our Love Works Hard podcast coming soon. In that podcast, we plan to share the good, the bad, and the ugly that we've experienced. But after we've shared all that, we're then going to branch out to discuss current events, entertainment, food, parenting, in-laws, generational divides, and anything else we decide we have something to say about. And believe you me, Sayla and I will have something to say about something all the time. It's going to be a wild ride, and we hope you'll take it with us. For those of you who are faithful listeners to the Leanne McCoy podcast, I'm still recording this podcast. Please share today's episode along with the entire deconstruction series with anyone you know who is impacted by people they love who are leaving the church today. I look forward to being with you next week when I give you an update on life after 35 years as the pastor's wife at Thompson Station Church.